Welcome to How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this is a podcast about telling the truth, about films that we have not seen before. Wilson, last week you admitted you had not seen a Cassavetes film. Any of them. I don't think any of us had seen a Cassavetes film. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess it would be I'd not, I'd not heard of him, so I thought it was oh. funny when you said, oh, I have this hole in my... In my... <laughs> It's it's a big deal. The, it, the, it felt like a safe assumption that Charles had it, and yeah. I had not. Okay, so. I mean, I would have been surprised if you had come up and said, like, yeah, basically it's great or something. Um, but I, no, I've never seen Cassavetes. So you chose a woman under the influence. Right. You want to run it, it? If possible. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a narratively loose film. One might describe it that way. <laughs> yeah, I did, in fact. Um, so, Cassavetes uh, is a, a not quite the father of independent cinema in the United States, but one of them. Um, and this is one of his babies. Uh, so it stars Gina Rollins, who is married to Cassavetes at the time of filming. Um, and she is, her character, Mabel, is married to uh, Nick, who is paid, played by Peter Falk. Um, she is a, a domestic, stay-at-home uh, mother. He is a laborer of some sort um, for the unnamed city in which they live. I they live in L.A. Is it LA? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wait. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely LA. It, it, it would have to be, right? Because they like filmed. Yeah, he works for the DWP. I don't know what that is. The Department of Water Power. Okay, fine. fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've <laughs> never been to LA. I'm not, I'm not I, I, I saw it instantly. I was like, is this, why are, why are they all like Italian guys? Like, their like, accents like threw me off. I was like, what is happening yeah. here? And then, because I knew instantly it was LA. I mean, maybe that's why I didn't think about it, because it's a bunch of Italian dudes. Yeah. But, uh, not a month, but a handful of yeah. adult kids. Um, in any event, the movie it essentially tracks her the deterioration of her mental health over the course of uh, a year, six months plus. Um, it is like, like I said, a narratively loose film, and it is more about the character relationships than it is about specific events. Like the, the movie is bifurcated by her. Uh, internment in what is presumably a mental hospital and a, a six-month time jump. Um, but other than that, it's just a series of uh, almost vignettes that, that play out in, in this, mostly in this home um, that uh, Nick and Mabel live in with their, uh, with their three children, who are also kind of played in the background of this movie. Um, in what is true to my understanding of Cassavetes is that this is leaning heavily on the actors and heavily on the actors' performances, and that it, it to, to the point where it's an, almost an, an impressionistic movie. That what we're seeing is a lot of relationships are turning on an expression, the the a delivery of a line, as opposed to the actual content of what's being said. That we're seeing the psychology of the character played in the background rather than being stated. Um, so the it's a difficult movie to describe, and for me, it was almost a difficult movie to track. Um, but I, I did, I did enjoy it, and I, I, I do want to see what else Cassavetes has to say and what else he's doing, because um, especially the the Gina Rollins performance as the the wife who cannot quite fit into this domestic uh, lifestyle that Peter Falk has so strongly wants. Um, she was just absolutely riveting to me, um, and the films critique about like what constitutes happiness and like how you achieve that um, I think was uh, compelling to me and just how the the Mabel character very not slowly but gradually over the course of the film reacts and misbehaves within those boundaries uh, I think functioned for me really well um, my upon watching this I watched this two days ago my Suspicion was that neither of you would like this movie very much, and that was really long. <laughs> um, what do you guys think? Uh, well, I mean, you, you predict you predict me pretty well. Yeah. I, I didn't enjoy this movie, um, but I do. <clears throat> I would say I can appreciate what it's trying to do um, because, like, I I recognize you know a really good performance from the lead, uh, Gina. Both of them, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's definitely punctuated by a lot of, like, terrifying, tragic moments that are really affecting the movie. It just, it did feel like it was a very long movie. There were long sections where it didn't feel like it was really adding up to, you know, much, I guess. Um, but I did appreciate 
um, some of those like more like punctuated moments. Um, and I do like that the movie was very well. I, I like in this, I guess, that the movie was very naturalistic. Very, uh, yeah. Describe it that way. Like it felt like the conversations were all very realistic. Like it's like what real people. It's how real people would talk. It seemed. Yeah, I mean, you would call it. it it's you would call it a realist film, and I think that a lot yeah. of people have called. Uh, Cassavetes is that he's a realist filmmaker. Yeah, so I say like and dislike because in many ways it's grounded and it feels more like applicable to my understanding to an understanding of like real life and mm-hmm. like, how people would interact. But at the same time, it does make many sections of the movie very dry, kind of boring. Yeah, th- there's a lot of play in the details here. I think so much of this is just about like character reactions and like small character reactions and like what happened like where they are standing in relation to one another and, and just like what the space that they're occupying looks like, things like that. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot that has to do with just the, the home itself that I think that is, again, not explicitly stated, but just shown. Um, and that that's okay. How do you feel about this one, Preston? It's excruciating it to watch. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, with Charles, I sympathize with the subject matter, but I, I, I found it unwatchable. Okay. Yeah. That's that is, uh, when it ended, I was just like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> oh, see, I thought the ending worked really well. I, I think that that might have been... I was like, wait, they're rolling the credits now? Like, what? Right. The, 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 yeah, the that's... They're starting to, like, get going in a way, right? <laughs> and they roll the credits a bit. I, yeah. I did not like this film. <laughs> I will not be watching any more Cassie Patties. That's I'm, fair. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we could start at the end, because um, I think that that, uh, I mean, you, you raised it already. Because um, the end, the, the movie just kind of ends, right? Like, they're just putting the kids to bed and almost, like, reconciling after she has had a near mental breakdown in the living room. And then, yeah, the credits roll, and, like, the music starts playing. Yeah, she's like, well, I think they get to an interesting spot because they're just like, oh, like you have this condition, but I guess it's like you're normal. Right. And I guess I have to accept this as if we're going to like make this work is the like Peter Falk characters. Right. Cause I think that, After like assaulting her. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Because right. there's, there's a lot in here from Peter Falk about uh, frustration. I think that that character just spends a lot of the movie having genuine love for the Gina Rollins character and being very frustrated by her behavior and him not being able to engage with that and how that's closing off what he sees as, you know, domestic bliss. And the ending of this movie where they where he kind of, for a moment at least, reconciles with that, to me feels so transitory, right? Like, it, it, it's, uh, it, it feels like something that they must have done before at some point, right? And that it's just not going to last. So you kind of like an internal sunshine sort of moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fair comparison. Yeah, where it's like, they're just, it, it's okay right now, but like, neither of them have reached a point that is going to make any of that permanent. And that uh, was sad. It, it played as really sad to me. Yeah, so like he he forcefully sends his wife off to like a mental institution or right, something yeah. to for six months to be treated and I assume he hopes that she'll come back like perfectly normal or something like that right she comes back and immediately it's evident that you know she still has her condition and still has to deal with it and all that and I guess he's like he's frustrated that he has to deal with that and he can't have like what well, you what you would consider like a normal relationship, I guess. I think so too, and I think that you see that as uh, in the sequence before she comes back, because that's what he's trying. He tries to take his kids to the beach, and they're like essentially not cooperating with that. This felt like a documentary about how it's a miracle that the human race continued beyond the nineteen seventies, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, he's incredibly qualified as a father, and when she's in control of the kids, she doesn't. Like when she's quote unquote like when she's like stable at the beginning of the film and like hands the kids off to her her mother I think her mother in law now the kids have seat belts and like are just yeah. like roaming about the car and like <laughs> it's she like blows a cigarette into their face and is like all right have a good time at grandma's <laughs> while I like go out to the bar all night yeah, yeah. Well, I mean first she sits around at home all day yeah 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 Peter Paul doesn't come but home. but still like 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the role of the, the kids in this movie. It was harrowing for the yes. children. Like, yeah. like, yeah, with yeah. intent, right? Because I, yeah. I, especially at the end, you have Peter. Uh, well, not, even before that, you have the sequence at the beach where he's like trying to create happiness out of something that isn't happy because he refuses to address any darkness in his life. And then at the very end of the movie, he's trying to like corral them to go to bed, and they just like keep running away from him and running back downstairs over and over again, and. I think you like have this sense of like the children having a deeper understanding of, or or at least a deeper empathy of what's going on in this household than than Peter Falk does, um, and and for me that that was effective, um, and it it becomes this story, or at least his story becomes about his just refusal to address um, what is what is right in front of him because it doesn't conform to. The, the, the home that he has and the home that he has envisioned. Yeah, when he takes him to the beach, I'm like, this is the guy that's going to lose his kids in the tide. And, like, you know, like <laughs> you're just going to, like, a riptide's going to just take <laughs> them away. Them. Right. That was awful. And then watch. he, like, drinks with them. Yeah, right. Yeah. He gives them all some beer. And He's like, don't don't drink too much. I mean, if one just kind of goes to town. Yeah. <laughs> like, it does drink too much. Uh, so, yeah, that, to me, that's how Peter Falk functions in this movie. Um, because this, I, I did a little research on this one, um, and he made this like right in the middle of his Columbo run. So like he was making that, and that ran for a long time. So he was making money. He's like in syndication, so he's, right. he's like rolling it. He's out. fine. They, they nobody would fund this movie, right? Like mm-hmm. they, plenty of people like the script. Nobody would fund it. It was made outside of the studio system. Peter Falk gave Casavetti five hundred thousand dollars to make this movie. Casavetti's mortgaged his house to make this movie, empties his bank account, essentially. And even after they made it, they couldn't find a distributor. So, yeah, I, I did read that they were, like, calling... Calling theaters. Calling theaters. Oh, yeah. There wasn't, like, a real distribution system at the time, so they had to, like... <laughs> some college intern, like, called all the theaters and was like, please show this movie. It's, like, essentially cold calling them. Yeah. Um, and the reason it got... The reason that we're watching it now is it played at the New York Film Festival back in 74, 75. And it was, Cassavetes was rejected at first because he submitted it to be screened there. He called up Scorsese, who was, who had had, I forgot what movie, one of his, some Scorsese movie, and Mike Scorsese is an established name at this point. And so he called up his friend, Martin Scorsese, and said like, Martin, can you help me out? And Scorsese, it's probably, no, Goodfellas is too late. It was right? not Goodfellas. Yeah. This was 70. Yeah. Um, so it would have been, it wasn't Taxi Driver. It was It was not one of the big ones, but yeah. it was a Martin Scorsese movie. Right? Sure. Um, so Scorsese says, yeah, sure. He calls up the New York Film Festival people and says, you have to let Cassavetes in or I'm going to pull my movie. Yeah. And <laughs> if it wasn't for that, like, this, Cassavetes might not have made another movie. Like, that That might have been it. Because it did play. And it nice did to have play. friends. <laughs> yeah, no, it did play well at New York Film Festival. Um, so, yeah, it took a lot of effort. And he was... Cassavetes himself was the um, uh, filmmaker in residence at the American Film Institute at the time that this was made. So a lot of the crew was just students. Many of them weren't paid. Like, they would frequently just wander off in the middle of shooting because they weren't being paid. <laughs> and, like that was that. I'm sure all the money went to making prints because there's like there's no money like on screen. No. To <laughs> yeah, and if Peter Falk is handing over five hundred thousand dollars and haven't made, he's probably not being paid a salary, or at least not a salary at the time of shooting. The quality of the film stock is really shitty. Yeah, Peter Rollins is his wife, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the mothers in the movie are Peter Rollins' mom and Tessa Betty's mom. They cast their mothers. The kids are probably just some kids that they, like, <laughs> corralled right. in, like, an alley. And, like, <laughs> yeah, so... It's I, like the makings of, like, a terrible movie. Right, and, well, I mean, you guys didn't like it, so maybe it, it, it was that, but most people, <laughs> not most people, but... A lot of people did like it, and it is generally well. Well, I didn't like it. I wouldn't call it terrible. They're okay. Different yeah, I, I, I did not like this. Film. Like, I, I don't think it's good. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is like, very clearly not your kind of I think it's... I, I would be challenged to call this a film, other than the fact that, like, someone pointed a camera at actors and, like, well, then, recorded what was happening. on a projector. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, there, there is certainly... A, it meets the basic definition of a film. Yeah. That, like, was, there's a moving image on screen. And there are characters. The characters are consistent from scene to scene. Like, they're... They, are they? <laughs> I think they are. I think that's one of the strengths of the movie is that yeah. it's, it's so much about like 
these people and these individuals, or at least these two in this relationship. And that, like, in that sense, it functions really well for me. Stylistically, it actually reminded me the most of um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. <laughs> um, in, like, the way that it's shot. Because, like, Curb is about, like, Larry David, who's this, like, you know, he's playing himself. Yeah. Um, as this kind of like asshole, like interacting with like all these normal people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like in general, it's just like him, like getting into awkward situations with like normal people at house parties. Right. And that's like half of this film. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, to a certain extent, it's about, uh, it's about male embarrassment, but it's also about female confinement mm-hmm. and how like, yeah. The, uh, which again, I mean, if you can put together those kind of coherent themes, like there is, a film here. <laughs> sure. At least say that one. I think thinking about it more after watching the movie, I appreciate a lot more complexity in the two main characters than when yeah. I was first watching it. So like with Gina's character, um, like you know, she's not solely defined by like her mental condition, right? They show those little scenes where she appreciates like music and dancing. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that she longs for a way to express her creativity and she longs for like a closer human relationship, right? Like when when uh, the husband has his colleagues over and she like finally has some good connection with some of them, right? And of course, the husband immediately gets jealous, but you can tell that she really like craves that kind of socialization with people. Yeah. yeah, and that's like a very tragic thing because the husband's always jealous and keeping her away from all these things. On the other hand, the husband, he's obviously like a huge asshole. He's like, you know... Beating her. He's, he beats her. He's very abusive. And usually, you know, movies just leave it at that, right? But I think that there's some, I guess, slightly forgiving aspects about it. Like you can tell that he really does actually love her. I think so, too. In between. So it, and you can, you can kind of sense that he's both frustrated at her condition, but also frustrated at his own temper. Um, because it does seem like he's trying to make up for it. Yeah, I think that's a really good read. I think, I think you're right on the money there. And, and there... Cassavetes has been asked, well, he's given a lot of interviews about this movie, and, and he insists that Gina Rollins in this movie is not crazy. He says that she has very poor social skills and is in an impossible situation. And to a point, like, there might be some legitimacy to that. Like, if you if you are placed in, a, in a, the circumstances that Gina uh, uh, Rollins has placed in here, maybe that her response is kind of reasonable. Maybe it makes sense. So you're saying that yeah. her character doesn't actually have a mental condition, but rather is just socially awkward and like and and in like intent, under intense emotional strain. Yeah, which is certainly true, right? Because and, and you see her being socially awkward many times throughout the movie, right? Like yeah. that she ha- he has all the workers at the table. She like spontaneously offers to make them spaghetti, right? <laughs> you know, out of nowhere, she goes and asks everybody their name one by one. Despite having met many of them previously, as is established in the movie, like she invites that dude into her home, uh, both the the one I'd stand, but the guy that brings his kids over for the play date, like he very clearly doesn't want to be there and wants to just drop the kids off and go home, and she manages to make that. He feels like obligated because he's invited. (laughs) Right, which I mean, on the one hand, yes, we can read that as something that's crazy, which is exactly what Peter Falk does and exactly what the psychiatrist and her parents do. On the other hand, it's also the behavior of a very lonely person who doesn't hasn't really been taught how to interact with people very well. And in that light, I, I think that the movie is playing towards our misogyny and kind of relying on that by saying, like, yeah, okay, she's looking crazy, but also, what do you expect from somebody that is placed under the circumstances that she is? Um, and to me, that does speak to a, a complexity in who these people are. Um, and and that that worked well for me. Yeah, it's a good like illustration of like why like the patriarchy is mm-hmm. terrible because like all the like on paper everything is fine here, right? Like this guy's like a union job. Yep, he's like a, a, a nice home. Yeah, and he has like a very masculine masculine job. It's like you know he's like a physical labor is, mm-hmm. is involved. Single single job household wife at home. He's a caretaker. Three kids or families like in the neighborhood, so like you know everything on paper is like fine here, mm-hmm. and th- this is like the sort of like uh, way like the organization of this family is what you know like alt right people are like looking to get back to, sure. which is like <laughs> yeah. I, like I, like I need a 
they're they're looking for like a wife that's like in the home who's like a gonna take care of the children and like mm-hmm. a home, home taker but I, um but it's such a like perfect illustration of like why that's awful right because yeah. and and not just for her but for him too because yeah because he's he's all always always at work because he's you know under the thumb of society because of that does not have like a relationship with his children or his wife or his family um and it's terrible for everybody involved and, yeah and so the like sort of like wheel of like capitalism is just like grinding on these folks and very clearly like this is the end of, of this era right where it's like shot in the late 70s and, and very soon after is like the end of the like single income family and because it's not you see it not working here and we know historically that it's not going to work out and it, at, it at yeah but, so the like the point or like the i suppose the read of this movie is not only is is it that we can't go back to this but we shouldn't want to, right? Yeah, that it's it's, awful. it's, it's, undeni- it's undesirable yeah. to return to this thing. Yeah. That, that, that there, we have to conceive of something new, not only because the circumstances require it on a material level, but also because going back to that isn't going to solve the problem. It's going to exacerbate the problem. Yeah, and that's what you're... Can't go back to yeah. that because the way the economy is like shaped out. Right, right so A, we can't, and B, we shouldn't. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and he'll just be like the next guy to fall off a cliff and and break all the bones in his body right, right. like he's he's just as much a victim of like this family scenario yeah yeah exactly and those yeah. kids are gonna grow up there those kids are boomers right? yeah those three kids those three kids are all baby boomers yeah right <laughs> they're gonna grow up or to, like old gen xers but yeah yeah they're yeah. gonna go vote for reagan they're gonna go vote for bush like that's that's who those kids are and like <clears throat> that stinks yeah it's like it's the end of history generation right? mm-hmm. so yeah yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but let's talk a little bit about the actual home that they're in. Because I, I think it's easy to look at this movie as something that's cheaply made, which it was, um, that they used the materials that were available to them, and, and they did. But it, it also like plays with the space, and especially the doors, I think, in the interior doors in that home, like as they're positioned in the hallway with that staircase, this, you know, Great symbol of domesticity, the staircase leading up to your second story. And I also feel like there is some significance to the space that they sleep in also being the space that they eat in, also having these French doors that both open it up and welcome people into it, close it off and close people off from it, and that the door leading to the kitchen says private on it in, in like big black letters. And to me, there's a lot here about how this space both dictates how they're interacting and also reflects how they're interacting with one yeah. another. And I think that Cassavetes uses that really well. I think that it's it's an effective tool um, that he it, it utilizes with the limited resources that he had when he made this movie. Um, how, did, how did that play out? One moment I distinctly remember the most is the first scene when she gets back into the house after releasing her kids and her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just her in the house completely alone, right? And the camera is shot like from a kind of receded point of view. So she looks small and the house looks bigger. Yeah. So she's like very lonely and confined in this like big old house and she just stuck. Right. And and then she eventually has to leave. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's what it is. And yeah. that. And that's when you see her open up. Is when she gets out of this space. Um, and again, what's supposed to be representative of, you know, economic freedom, right? And ec- economic autonomy and liberation. Yeah, that becomes confining. Right. And it's like always sad to see what like the home is supposed to be a place where you feel the most welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, the most at home. Right. And, um, and yet she just seems so alien in her own space. Right. Right, and and you see, like when when she is striving for her liberation, most like when she's you know after she gets back, and, like they have that aborted party for her, and she is you know standing up on the the table in the living room, right? Like that's when you see the space open up the most. She's dominating the most space. She's using the domestic you know objects incorrectly, right? Like that it, to me is when she is aching most for her freedom. And most loudly for her freedom 
is when you see these spaces become larger for her and her become larger in them. Um, and that uh, is intentional. I think that, that that's Cassavetes using that intelligently. It read to me more just as like shitty apartment syndrome. Like when you have like a room that has like too many functions, it's, like, sure. uh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, oh, this place doesn't work for this family. Yeah, it, like, and it doesn't. Yeah. Like, the place doesn't work for this family in a yeah. literal sense. So, I, I mean, there is a practical explanation. They have one bedroom. Who knows what it is? Maybe this house. Well, the kids like sleep in the bedroom, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And they, they sacrifice that for the children. Uh, but the other space is that, like, w- w- it's not clear what a thing is used for. Right, and it's it's not clear like why why does this exist and what are, what's our purpose uh, in it, uh, and so you see a room that's a dining room and a party room and a bedroom, and that doesn't make any sense. One thing I noticed, and I don't know what to make of it really, is that they have that one big wooden chair that's kind of just sitting out in the hall, and yeah. it kind of looked like a like a church stool or like bench. Yeah, they're called pews. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Never been sure, so. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, but you're right. I, I I think that's a trope for homes in general. Like what? Uh, yeah, like, like my home had a growing up had a, a church pew. Okay. And like, and a lot of times it's just the church will re- be replacing their pews, and people can go get them if they want. Them. Yeah, they make like nice benches. They do. They they, yeah. they hold up forever. They're all they're often like pretty solid. Wood. Yeah, they weigh like a million pounds. They're, yeah, really, really hard to move around. Yeah. So like once you have it somewhere, it stays there forever. Okay. Um. It, so I, I think that it just becomes like a, another symbol of like this is a domestic home. This is you know an American home. Um. And it it it, it signaled that to me. That that, that okay. rang true for me. Even in movies, I haven't seen pews and houses or anything like oh, that. Oh. I I have certainly seen that, but okay. didn't, I just um, didn't notice. Them. Yeah, they're yeah. kind of like sawed after now. Okay. Yeah, because, because yeah, they're like this is very sturdy. Yeah. Yeah. Very and it's personal. you know it's sort of like in that like recovery or recovered wood kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and and because they often come from churches replacing uh, pews, they're often really old, so they have like this vintage appeal to them. Sure. Yeah. For, for that kind of stuff, you'll see them in like house flipping shows. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's almost certainly true. Um, one of the scenes I found most effective was closer to the end of the movie when um, they're having a like welcome home party or whatever in the what is now the dining room, no longer the bedroom. Um, and Gina Rollins is asking her father to stand up for her, and he doesn't understand what she means. I uh, think he, he's trying to actually stand up, uh, but she clearly very means to stand up for him as, as in to intervene to do say something in the most like curved moment yeah. well right but it's also a tragic moment right? yeah because for her it's like well, she, curve is trash day. Well, yeah <laughs> this is it's not funny I know, right? I know. Like, well it is yeah. though right well i mean it is and it isn't yeah. right because for her it's like that's the height of her frustration right that she yeah. is she can stand in the middle of the living room and you know Exclaim that she is a person and she wants to do her own things and she feels confined and that her husband is abusing her and that all of this is awful and like nobody will hear her and nobody will understand her or absorb what she's saying and like it's distilled. They see her condition, right? Because because they they see her because they they see like a desire for female liberation as insane, right? Like that's the equation that is being made here and it's distilled in that exchange, right? Where like what she is saying to her father cannot be understood and her father has a desire to help her. He wants to do the thing that she, that he is understanding. He actually stands up when he says, stand up for me, but it's just totally meaningless because he can't absorb and actually hear her, actually understand her. Um, and to, to me, that was really effective. And like yeah. so much of that, like distilled what the movie was about um, in, in that sequence. So much of hear about the seventies just seems Awful. Just like everything about the whole deck. <laughs> it's just like it had disco though. <laughs> that like it's like disco and like cocaine were like the only like okay things about the seventies. Otherwise it was just like Nixon, the economy tanked. Yeah. Just everybody was like crushed under Yeah. Led led immediately into Reaganism. Yeah. Yeah. Well uh, and, the, and they're all trying to get back to the sixties. Right. Yeah. Like, so, so much I, like so much of the seventies, like we, we look at, at back at it with nostalgia now because for us it was forty years or fifty years ago. Um, but I think at the time they must have looked back at like the 
the liberation of the 60s, the flourishing of American art in the 60s, and said, why are we still doing this? Like, why, is, or, why are these things still Or like the this? opposite, where a lot of people yeah. felt it was a mistake and like, <laughs> right, it right. worked against the civil rights and right, like, like, liberation the, movements. The reactionary. Uh, wasn't, yeah. wasn't the 70s like a big like golden age for American film? Yeah. Yeah, so for it, sure. It, it certainly was. But I, I think if you look at the, the films that were being produced, it was films like this. Right, or like yeah. Taxi Driver, like that's the one that looks largest, probably. Yeah. Um, where it, they're talking about like the degradation. This is like hole in the heart of the country. Yeah, like that. That's. I mean, part of the reason that there there was this American new life is that the studio system kind of broke in the '60s, mm-hmm. and studios were funding any old thing. Um, but part of it was that they had a lot to critique. Like there was, yeah. a, there was a lot of material available for them there, um, and they, they and they did it um, and. That this isn't exactly a product of that because again, it's an independent film. There's no studio involved here, no distribution company involved here. Uh, but artistically, I think it's certainly uh, in line with the rest of the American New Wave uh, and American realism. It's really depressing to watch. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. Like this is not a fun movie. Um, <laughs> no, no. A, lot of, and, a lot of stuff like that in the seventies. Yeah, that's, that's true. Also, right. Wasn't Dog Day Afternoon seventies yeah. as well? Yeah, and um, wasn't all the President's Men was shot like contemporaneously almost right like a trailed by like a couple of years of, yeah like, weirdly yeah yeah i don't know if we, that fits quite as snugly in the, in the new wave um but it certainly fits into the larger idea of like here's a depiction of the you know perversion of the american ideals the american government yeah like the parallax view was chat around the same time too and, mm-hmm. yeah yeah and fuck, man yeah it just seems <laughs> awful just like the whole decade is just like just burn it down Start over. <laughs> There's a lot of those. Like, yeah. See, I mean, are you gonna? You make the same argument that about the eighties, right? Yeah, and the odds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> a lot I of mean, that must have been what it was to to live through the seventies, right? And because Vietnam is going on, right? So, which that's what the odds felt like it was just like this like constant wake, waking nightmare that like never ended. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thought until like look around and be like, is anybody else feel this way? That like, it's just awful and nothing is good. Yeah. That, that felt like a fair, I mean, I was in high school and earlier college at, or and college at the time, but yeah. yeah, that felt politically very bleak. Um, and it kind of still does. I don't know if that ever really changed. No, not that much. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's these sort of like years of optimism, but that don't like add up too much. Right, because so in yeah. retrospect, they, they feel absurd. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that must kind of be what, the, to a certain extent, what the 70s feel like, because that was still a time when you could go get a job, go to college degree, and support your family on it, and like buy a house. It was a good car. union job. And right. Yeah. Like, and, and that must have. You might get killed by falling off a cliff, but. <laughs> right, but <Yeah>. also. Uh, <laughs> so at the in the moment, there must have been something that felt so promising about that. Right, which is, I think, the frustration that the Peter Falk character is feeling here. He's he's looking at this good union job, the the two car garage, the three kids, the pretty wife, the home in a decent neighborhood. Exactly, and nonetheless, here's this wife that's crazy, right? Like, why is she crazy? Why is she acting this way? Um, and that that Cassavetes can like predict that um, and predict that that hollowness at the core of American domesticity. When I think most other people realized it well after the fact, like looking back at it from the eighties, mm-hmm. um, speaks to his insight, and I think speaks to like the to him as an artist. Yeah, at least in like the eighties, it was like, yeah, this really sucks, but they embraced it. At least you can buy something, <laughs> right? <laughs> like here, there's just like it's so bleak that there's like no way to like channel your frustrations about society. Mm-hmm. You buy alcohol and you make it work. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. What's the line that she has? Like, okay, I, I died for Mr. Larson, kids, where, where he's in the backyard and they're like trying to re- reenact Swan Lake. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of what it was like, right? Like, that, that this kind of domestic home is just about performing death, right? Like, you just. Then the outcast, right? Because Swan Lake is about the, the outcast who's like trying to transform. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like. They're, they're, now they're literally in the backyard of this place that she views as a fucking tomb, and she's instructing her children to die because what else? What, what are they really doing? 
right? Like if this is what the, the goal of life is and she hates it, then, and she is training her children to do the same thing, the instruction to her children is, okay, die for Mr. Larson, kids. Um, yeah, like that's, <laughs> but, and, and of course, she's, she's going she's gonna to break up uh, if those are the options. Yeah, not a happy movie. No, this is a bummer. This is a huge crisis. They were right back. I was like, I wish I was watching anything else right now. I, when I, was, I was watching. I mean, because I hadn't seen it yeah. either when I picked it. I, but I looked like aware of Pesky Pedrix, and I like was aware of his reputation. I was like, this feels like a risky pick. But yeah, <laughs> I, I won't watch it. So, what year is that excuse? This is like when people have bad conception of what independent film is. It's from films like this. Yeah. It's it's a it's, it's a Cameron movie. It is it's, without a doubt. It's not a Bond movie. Yeah, yeah it's a, yeah. No, it certainly isn't that. Literally, because you know nobody wanted to produce or distribute or screen it until yeah. Scorsese made. Uh, but yeah, like this is a a, a tough one. Um, yeah, but like when you tell people like independent films are like I don't know, and right. it's because of films like this. Yeah. yeah, right. Which I think, I mean, I like this movie. I thought it was good. I want to watch more Cassavetes. Right. So. I in the, the audience for this movie. And there are plenty of filmmakers, especially that was like Hesvetis is a major influence and in that he is the one that got them that told them through his films that they too can make movies. Um, and that's valuable. And that that that, that is a good thing. Uh, but yeah, this is not for the general audience. I, I don't think. I, I think that most people would not have a I don't think anybody would have a good time with this one. But I think uh, the general audience would even find it value on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I, but again, I did. I liked it. Um, any, any closing thoughts on Omen Under the Influence? Um, I did notice something else where there's kind of a parallelism between um, Gina's like mental <clears throat> condition mm -hmm. and her husband's like anger issue. Yeah, and the way that they're treated and the the way that they're perceived um, are so different, um, and it's kind of a condemnation of how we treat those things. Because like her mental condition, you know, I don't think it really impedes her ability to be a good mother that much, or her ability to, you know, interact with other people that much. Because you know she's perfectly able to like host a party with all the coworkers and all that. And she's like, just kind of weird. Connect with people, right? Yeah, yeah. she's a little weird, but like. Fine, she can still be a good person and all that. Whereas her husband, his rage and his frustration ruin everything all the time. Yeah. They're always a problem. And like they ruin his relationship with his kids and his wife. They ruin any good moments that she has um, trying to connect with other people. You know, it's the most destructive thing in the entire movie. And yet she's the one who's mm -hmm. like institutionalized and taken away to, to fix her quote unquote issue. Yeah, you're dead on money, I think. And he, he just left there to be himself. He doesn't change at all the entire movie. And they go right back to the same problems at the end because he's still his angry-ass self. Yeah. Um, and that's where we're left at. They're just picking up the pieces to keep going doing the same thing again. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and going back to like what I was saying earlier about the patriarchy, it's like, yeah. that's, that's it. Yeah, and that, like... I guess people just accept his rage because that just seems like a very manly thing to be angry. Yeah, about. right. Like men are supposed to be angry. Women yeah. aren't supposed to be weirdos. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's so bad. It's, like, it's bad for him too. Patriarchy is bad for everybody. Society. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. I think that was dead on the money. Yeah. yeah. Good read. Um, anyway, we'll be back in a moment with uh, things we've seen. We'll see you then. Welcome back to things we've seen. Uh, this is our bumper at the end where we discuss more recent movies that we've seen on theaters or. Netflix or whatever. Um, you guys both saw the new Godzilla movie. I did not see the Godzilla movie. So tell us about it. How'd it go? It's kind of what you would expect out of this kind of movie. So I thought the monster battling <clears throat> parts were sweet. Uh, and that kind of remedies the biggest disappointment with the first Godzilla movie <clears throat> where it felt like there wasn't enough monster action. And that's why you're being there. Right? Um, but... As you might expect, all the the story and like the interhuman interactions were pretty terrible. That is what I expected. <laughs> yeah, the the human parts of this movie are unwatchable. Somehow they were worse <laughs> than I expected out of a movie like this. Yeah. Um, but 
I was fine with glossing over that. You just, you just kind of tune out until Godzilla shows up again. You're good. It's <laughs> awesome. I feel like there's a cut of this movie where they take some of the human elements of the first movie and the monster elements of the second movie, and maybe that's the intersection that is yeah works. But I I um I had said months ago that this is a film that I'll be disappointed by. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, here, here we, we are. are. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Um, which is funny because I was like I su- surprisingly liked the Kong Skull Island movie. I think that's actually okay. a very good movie and recommend it to everybody. Mm-hmm. With as like the sort of uh, Empire Strikes Back of this series yeah. is. Uh, I mean, they are setting up a cinematic universe and <laughs> stuff. Yeah, there's going to be a Kong Godzilla movie at some point. Um, I mean, are there other monsters that they're bringing in? Yeah, there's they brought in like a dozen monsters in this oh, movie. Okay. Yeah. But they're all like within the Godzilla framework, right? Some are new. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but they, they have sort of your classics in this one of Mothra and right. Ghidorah and Rodan. Um, and then they introduce like a few ones that are not really a part of the plot but are <laughs> seen, <laughs> there. seen briefly. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a bad movie <laughs> yeah i mean it's like really really bad i would agree with that i still yeah. think the monster action stuff was sweet really i i found myself kind of let down by that oh, yeah. um because it felt like they're it's a normal like sequelitis or like we need to like ramp things up really high and have like a a million monsters and they do like crazy things <laughs> um and i like the sort of grounded one thing that works with Kong Skull Island I think one thing that works is that like it's an absurd movie but it still like has like limitations to it and it's kind of like Superman here or like I don't know how to kill Superman because he's like so yeah I know but he's so powerful that he always overcomes it and like even when he dies he like comes back to life and there seems to be no limit on his superpowers that seems to be the case with Godzilla, where it's like, uh, I just like, when he's dead, he's never actually dead, and like, he, he has this impossible foe in King, in Ghidorah. Yeah. I, and, I think there was some sort of story, like, you I don't say know what that, to do with this film. <laughs> and I love, I love monster movies. I love them. Yeah. And I just, yeah. You, you, you say that they introduce a lot of monsters, and a lot of them are introduced kind of off-screen or like just briefly yeah. in news reports, right? But it, I do think it's to the strength of the movie that it focuses on Godzilla, Ghidorah, Rodan, and Mothra. But then why have They're really popular ones? Well, it's like stuff. you know, it's like yeah. a global event, right? So it makes yeah. it feel more epic, and I'm okay with that. They don't waste any screen time on those things. Yeah. Um, but like the main monsters are all really cool. Like Rodan has that thing where he's like like sweeps across the city and like everything is blown away and that's like really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, Mothra looks really beautiful with the like the glittering wings and all that. Yeah. Gita is just always awesome because it's a three headed dragon. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. And like, you know, the fight I thought the fights with Godzilla were pretty cool. I agree that the ending felt disappointing with the way they resolved the fight because he just kinda explodes and Ghidorah dies. Yeah, it's uh it's one punch man, right? You just like punch it harder. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Um, so that yeah. was disappointing as a resolution. They also, I, I said this in our chat that they like the finales in Boston. Yeah. And it like happens at like Fenway, which is like the only identifiable location <laughs> in Boston. That's a pretty substantial size, yeah. Right. And yeah. so when you're like, you see him like looming over the city, you're like, I guess this is what Boston looks like. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I was born there. I could. I, I don't know. You were born in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were born in Maine. No. no I, okay. Um, but I was like, that is a bold choice to destroy a city that nobody has any idea what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Boston. <laughs> yeah. At least, wow. like. They probably just chose it. Yeah. The good cities are safe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess they're like all oh, New York is done too well, like, much. They already blew up San Francisco in the first one. They go okay. through DC, so DC's fun too. It gets flooded. Yeah, they did. They were briefly in Vegas in the first one too. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, they I like. I think like there could be like, like Cloverfield is an interesting movie because I love it, it, that. Might be my favorite monster. It like it grounds the story so well in, in like actual characters, and it's yeah. like, and this is how one might actually react to like yeah. an event like this. Um, and I, I think it's hard to make a film about monsters after 
something like that, where it's like, oh, this kind of like changes the perspective on the genre in a way that is much more compelling mm-hmm. and points to the problems of the genre. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't feel like any lesson has been learned other than like pour money on something and then like you'll get money money back if you're lucky in the like movie producing gamble. Yeah. That's what this felt like. And this is this is a remake of a movie from the 70s. And that movie wasn't great either. That yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So like what I don't know what problems we're fixing here other than just like people just like to see adding CGI. And and the truthfully the like I think it's called pseudomation, the old way of making Godzilla films is more compelling than this film visually in a lot of ways. So yeah. Uh, one thing I do appreciate, although I yeah. thought it was poorly executed, but the shift <laughs> what the monsters and what Godzilla represent, because like the original Godzilla is supposed to represent nuclear bombs, right? Um, but they've shifted it to become like a like a climate change sort of analogy. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, they're shifting with the times, and I think that's appropriate. I think that's effective. Well, not effective. It's not well done, <laughs> but I think it's, it's reasonable. Reasonable, yeah. It's, yeah, it's appropriate. Yeah, is the word I was looking for. But they kind of botched it a bit with like, I don't know, like they have to release the monsters and let them blow stuff up so that society or that nature can regrow or something like that. I, I thought that would end. They didn't lean into that hard enough. That would have been much more interesting. Like one of the main characters kind of like turns on humanity and. Yeah, well, I think the idea is that like you have to take really drastic measures and really restructure what society looks like. She's Thanos. Kind of right. Yeah, she's um, making the Thanos strikes where she like by releasing the monsters, she can save the environment. Right, yeah. um, but you have to think about how we could combat climate change, and it requires a really drastic reshape in the society to actually survive this impending disaster. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's why the movie takes such a drastic stance on this. Well, it's like, so yes, what you're saying is correct. Or the, like, the the wrong way to fix it is to start a genocide. Yeah. Which is what this character wants to do. And there's there's a more really, like, interesting question, like, compelling question there. And I, I think that a lot of people have sort of a misguided view that the overpopulation of the Earth is, is the issue here and not the way in which we use the Earth's, Earth's resources. Um which leads to a sort of like genocidal solution, even among like a, a, and you can find this even among like a liberal politic where it's like, Oh, you know, we just, it's just overpopulation and like certain countries are, you know, there's too many of those people. It's like, wait, 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 there's like, which people? Yeah. Which, which, yeah. (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, And, Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's definitely, that's a common refrain. Yeah. And and it's embraced on the right with, more yeah. consciousness, and they they just refer to it as equal fascism, and it's just what it sounds like. <laughs> like they they acknowledge that global warming is a problem, and their solution of it is kill non-white people. Yeah, or to or to build your own island, which is like <laughs> several billionaires are doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, with the, you know, whenever someone's like making a bunker, or like buying land in New Zealand, like this is the, like they're playing out this theory. Um, and so I think if they leaned into that harder and like made made it clear that this is a choice between those things, I, yeah. I think that's an interesting message. But instead, the the character is kind of like absolved because she makes like a late like a ninth inning choice to like she, she oh actually I, I feel bad so I'm like not gonna do is this. So Vera character, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, I like her. Like as an yeah. I, I think in her character's defense, she's not out to actually. Like, her problem is an overpopulation. She's not out to actually kill people. She the, the story here is that when the Titans are released, that they have positive effects on the environment around them. Right? Sure. So she's, she believes that releasing them will help the Earth recover from this like climate disaster. But it will lead to people dying because there's still giant monsters romping through cities. Which is just a different version of the overpopulation argument. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Like, like, a lot of people dying is worth saving the Earth. Um, is is the argument, which is true, but the, it's also a misstatement of the problem, which, which is that we don't need a lot of people to die to save the earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just the, like five or six. The, the, the other frustrating about this film is that there's a ton of good actors in it who have nothing to do. Um, yeah. Most perfectly il- illustrated by uh, Millie Bobby Brown, yeah. who is on screen quite a bit and uh, has like maybe like four lines oh. in the film. She has and, a decent like, amount of lines. 
like she gets to actually like do some stuff. Uh, my girlfriend was actually really happy with her character because she said that it's actually a teenage girl who has some agency and gets to like do stuff. That's fair, but she's still like criminally underused in this film, as are most of the actors. Kyle Chandler, who's great in Bloodline, um, and Friday Night Lights. Um, he was actively yeah. annoying in this movie. I was like, I can't angry every time he showed up because his character is so annoying. It's one. It, he should win an Oscar for like the most phoned-in performance. Yeah. Um, yeah he's the yeah. guy who like they tell him what the situation. He kind of gets angry. He's like, "How did you let this happen?" Blah blah blah. blah. I said we oh, should do this. That's such a misuse. So annoying. That's such a misuse of Kyle Chandler. Um, Ken Watanabe is really sidelined here. So is Sally Hawkins. Bradley Whitford is supposed to provide levity, but is also clearly phoning I, it I in. I thought it was hilarious uh, that they had Sally Hawkins' character just because she was in. The first movie, I guess, and they have to kill her off early in the movie because yeah. they can't afford an academy. Yeah. But she doesn't want to make these dumb movies. Yeah. The great character actor Charles Dance is in this. Charles Dance is in this movie. He's, he's the main he's bad guy, bad. but no. he's only on screen for like 18 minutes. Like, Weird. It's it's incoherent. Um, and a bunch of other great actors. Um, David's, David Straight Aaron, like another great character actor. Yeah, he's, he has yeah. like two minutes of screen time. Yeah. Here. Um, it's a confusing and frustrating movie to watch and, and very disappointing. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the decision I made when it came out and the decision I am going to continue making. That's uh, yeah. Uh, I saw a movie too. Uh, I saw uh, Rocket Man. The, the I did too. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what did you think of it? Um, I, I think it's good. It, it reads like a Broadway play. In, yes. a, in a movie, yes. and I'm sure they're gonna do it as a play eventually, and they'll make a bajillion, a bajillion dollars. Yeah, um, I, but it's 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 great. Yeah, I, I don't know. I am a little more tempered on it than you are. I think um, I don't know. I'd say great. Uh, I liked it. I enjoyed watching it. Um, it's not like com- you're not like there for like a complex thing, right? Yeah. And, and so like the the thing, so the stuff that's fun for. Um, I think Taron does a good job. So he's incredible. I think Jamie Bell does a good job as Bernie Taupin. Great. Uh, I think that's what the movie should have been about. I think that they really needed to center that relationship more and have the movie like play on like how they each respond to fame differently. Yeah. And they put that down at a weird, at an odd moment in the film. Yes. And, and they should have kept it. They're already futzing with the timeline of his life plenty. Yes. And I think that that, they, if they had done that, I think they could have avoided some of like the walk hard, you know, Wikipedia problem that this movie has. Because it a, still has the same biopic problem. Yes. Okay, it, it, there is definitely like a the wrong son died type of vibe with um, Elton and his dad. Yes. And, that is, you know, the main point of the, the Dewey Cox movie. Right. And there is also, like, the, the um, his marriage, like, is initiated, takes place, and concluded in the space of, like, ten minutes. Well, well again, <laughs> it's important to note that Elton John produced this film. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm sure, like, it's, it's a, yes. It's a very, uh, I, I mean, it does show him as an addict and him as, like, a, not a good person. Yes, absolutely. Um, which, I, I, which I think is admirable, but there's still, like, he is protecting himself a bit around so, and, uh, things, yeah. But you know, I think the honesty here is admirable, and I don't, I, agree, I don't I have a problem with it on that level. I, I have a struggle problem with it. I think this could have been a more focused movie about him and Bernie, uh, and that would have been improved by it. My favorite thing about it, though, is that it used the material so well. Like the, the, you're making an Elton John movie, the strength of the movie is at it. All the songs are phenomenal. Yeah, and yeah. It, which is what the Queen movie like. Didn't, I didn't watch, but I yeah. heard like they <laughs> utilize the. Cause, great music. Well, yeah, because what this does is, is it, it treats the music at the way musicals treat their music. Yes. In that it is Which isn't is why like, it's a play. Right. Yeah. So it, it becomes, it, it slides to this alternate reality where they're just like singing in the street and stuff like that. It becomes like a big set piece. And, and suddenly and, characters are singing. Right. Like, 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 <laughs> and yeah. it's really cool and it works really well and it's like the most thrilling part of the movie. Yeah. Um, and so like... It's when, incredibly choreographed. It's, yeah, it looks amazing. So like when a Tiny Dancer comes on, it's not him in a studio singing Tiny Dancer. It's like they're at a party and he's singing it to Bernie Taupin and he's like, they have this really cool one where he's walking through this like Laurel Valley Canyon party, and it, it works really well, and it's memorable and effective yeah. way more than just like him being on stage and singing the song. 
which, you know, they have a, a little bit of that, but that's not every song. Also, also, unlike the Queen movie, they didn't shy away from the, him, being, him being gay him being, yeah. and, like, yeah, showing gay relationships. That, that was the other really strong, the, the other really strong performance for me was Richard Madden as his... Yeah, uh, Rob Stark, right? Yeah, Rob Stark yeah. as his, uh, his manager and eventual lover. He becomes comically evil, he, which, yes. which is... But he, and he like carries it well. I mean, like it, it works for me. Like I like, I like that character in it. and like him as a foil in a movie that's about him, that about Elton and Bernie Taupin, I think would have been really effective, mm -hmm. right? Like that he's the one that kind of steers Elton on a, a self more selfish path where Bernie doesn't do that. And the movie has some of that. I just wanted it to be a little more central. Um, I was initially perplexed because he suddenly plays a pinball wizard in the middle of the movie. Oh, yeah, but Don Tom did that. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. He, did, he did. Well, he he sang Pinball Wizard in Tommy, the movie. Yeah. And I I didn't remember that until like a couple hours after watching because it felt so out of place. It was like, well, it was interesting that they didn't like, you know, use only Elton John songs. It's like, <laughs> it like, oh, yeah, the, the movie version of Pinball Wizard is played by Elton well, John. It is still kind of a weird ghost because he had. You, you watch this movie and you are reminded of just how many hits Elton John had. Like it's incredible. Every song, in, like there's a lot of songs in this movie, every single one is a hit, and there are multiple like high-charting high songs that just aren't here at all. We have like two bars of band on this. That's like a huge hit. Yeah. Right? Like, Someone Saved My Life Tonight doesn't appear in this movie. Yeah. Uh, nothing, I don't think there's anything on uh, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Bear Cowboy. Yeah. Period. In this movie. And that's a great album that did really well. Well, like 60 to 70 percent of the film is like music numbers, yeah, and that like that for sure is the correct choice because like I like I don't care that at some point he went to the studio and like recorded a song, right, which is okay. what the Queen movie's about. Because um, obviously he did that. Yeah, right. we we know that Queen did that, and it's it's much more interesting to see his like you know dive into alcoholism, but right. in his like these sort of like fabulous nature of his character on, yeah. on stage is, is interesting. Yeah. And like how the music in, like intersected with where his life was at that, that moment. Yeah. Right. Is cool. Uh, and, and that, that's the strongest part of it. Like yeah. that is the stuff that and, and the movie they didn't shy away from like fantastic elements as well, yeah. which I think is great. And the underwater sequence during actual rocket man, the song. Great. Or everybody, there's a scene where everybody kind of floats off the floor. Also great. Yes. Um, when he's doing, when he's at the... Um, the Troubadour. Yeah, the Troubadour. Yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. He does Honky Cat or one of those stuff. I don't know his catalog as well. Okay, I, I mean, I do. I, I came into this book like, as an Elton John fan. I've seen him in concert twice. Like, I think he, I know his... Which will not happen, according to the film. Oh, is he done? He's re currently retired to focus on his kids. Okay. It doesn't seem like a picture of health. So. I mean, I... Yeah, <laughs> it's all. Like, I, I saw him... I mean, he's much older than I am. I, I saw him in... It must have been like 2005, 2006, something like that. He still put on a great fucking show. Like, it was still really good. Uh, so, yeah, like, I came into this being very familiar with his work and his songs. And it, it still worked really well for me. There's, it is a moment in the film which is confusing where he's suddenly like, well, I'm the one that's like, you know, has to be Elton. Like, I'm, I'm like stuck in this role now that I've like, like, corner that I painted it to myself. It's like, that came out of nowhere. I was like, "Whoa, wait, like, yeah, like exactly. I, I, I get it, like in this larger structure mm -hmm. of the film, but it comes out of nowhere almost." Where it's like, I, I and I also did, didn't feel sympathetic to him because it's like you're a famous rock star, yeah, and <laughs> and you seem to do this in your own time. So yeah. like being like dressing and like is yeah, sort of the way that he dresses, right? Because it, it felt like the, the mess of the movie ended up saying is that like you have to embrace who you are and that you are worthy of love and you have to learn that you are worthy of love yeah. and that and that's a good message and that's that's true um i think that it's also not a particularly novel message and i think that there was something else available here about like the choices that we make in terms of when we are presented with opportunity also, also to be like a pretty obviously like you know like out icon during this era yeah. it seems like dangerous and they don't they kind of touch on that but they there's something there that could have gone further right um, that said i still like the movie like I, I i'm glad i watched it i would recommend it like for the musical parts alone um it, it, and if you do like oh, God, yeah definitely go see it yeah. blast
because like, I, I certainly don't. I, I think it's a good movie. I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. to see it when like costuming and um, like it's sound a, sound editing and like all all that stuff. They, It'll they win have, all the like technical awards. I mean, a lot of times those go to like sci-fi movies and stuff like that. Um, I, I could see this actually getting higher level awards than that because they love biopics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they love that shit. And like, this is a star that would like the the people that are voting on Oscars. Like, this was their guy. Like, they were kids when he was big. Um, so I could see this actually doing it's, pretty it's well. Pretty it's well rated cool. too, and yeah. like it's done well at the box office. So it has all the elements of like. A, yeah, I could see it actually. Probably down down a, a couple nominations if not. Yeah, because wasn't it like Chicago? Mm-hmm won like 15 years ago like just like dominated the awards and like that was right after Moulin Rouge as well and this seems to fit into like that lineage of, of and, and yeah. we just had Bohemian Rhapsody which was like, a garbage film that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is better than that so yeah. you know it feels like it has a pretty good shot yeah. that's what I'm saying alright uh, Charles you're up next what is what is your selection what have you not seen um, I would like to see To Kill a Mockingbird oh so, man yeah, a, friend, a friend mentioned it to me. It's a classic. It is. Uh, and I figured I need to catch it. I've seen this movie a lot of times. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will have to watch it again. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Um, don't pause our recording at CrossFit. I have to tell the people that they can find us on iTunes and Facebook and Google Play um, and that we appreciate shares and likes and comments. It really does make a difference. And we'll be back next week with To Kill a Mockingbird. See you then. <laughs>